Hi, welcome back to the Yoga of Yoga podcast. This is the third episode and also, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make it part three of a trilogy introduction to the Yoga of Yoga. I think it deserves this in terms of the magnitude of what I'm seeking to do here. Um, and the breathing room that I need to uh, expound upon some of these major themes that have been coming up. Um, sometimes it feels like every sentence could be unpacked into an episode unto itself. So just so you know how I feel on this side of things. Um, and that is one of the, one of the signs, um, of, of tapping the yoga of yoga is that when you find that in yourself, when you find zero point, as it were, um, in, in your, in yourself, that's the creative source. That's the creative zone that we all have in us. That is the, the life force, the life source, the fountain, uh, of youth, <laughs> so to speak, not youth in terms of appearance, but youth in terms of, uh, joyous, vital, a, a living, the living energy and vitality of touching the life source. And that is what we're really after when we find ourselves doing all of these, you know, antics, I call them frantics, uh, of chasing the external versions, uh, the, the externalized uh, dangling carrots, uh, so to speak, of Oh, once I get that, if I get the right food, if I get the right, you know, lifestyle, if I get the right exercise regimen, the right, you know, spiritual regimen, the right uh, meditation techniques, that's all, those are all externalizations um, that, that lead us into this kind of um, what is essentially a, a version of stress. It's actually a version of fight or flight that we're in, ironically, to try to get out of the fight or flight stress that we're in. The, 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 the state of being that, again, I keep saying again and again is the normalized suffering of humanity that is age old and that we are experiencing our modern day version of. Which is, what is it essentially? It's, the, it's just the feeling of unease. Dis-ease comes from unease, non-ease. Ease, what is ease? Ease is grace. <clears throat> grace is source, being sourced. Consciously, as human beings, is our, is our essence, is our call. And, and that takes on as many... Uh, forms as there are people. And so this, this journey, while it unifies us all with the same uh, essential mission of becoming free people, liberating ourselves from the suffering, the moksha of, that yoga calls us to, that is the, 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 the medicine of yoga, that is also the essence of the human being. And it's it's free in a deep sense. It's free. It's available. It's more available than anything we could chase for out there. And yet it's not free in the sense of automatic, right? We have to show up for it. We've got to, we've got to consciously, that's the, that's the joy of it. That's the pleasure of it is that we, no one does it for us. Each person has their own responsibility to show up for life with the capital L, to show up for joy, to show up for love, to show up for supreme intelligence that, that we have been gifted with. It's the, the ultimate blessing is the ultimate curse if we don't show up for it, right? So it's like none of us, if we really saw the choice starkly in front of us, do I want the responsibility of joy or the, the basically perpetual suffering of not showing up for it, we would probably all say, give me the joy. I want, <laughs> I want, to, I want joy. I want life. I want happiness. I want well-being. I want ease, right? If you had a clear choice between ease and dis-ease, how many of us would choose dis-ease? I don't think any of us. So it's not a matter of whether or not we want what we ought to want, which is well-being. It's a matter of us not seeing clearly enough where the choice lies. So we, we are, in that sense, doomed to an eternity <laughs> of chasing our tail. So 
So what's the way out? Activision, I called it in the last episode. And I've used, we use that term all the time. Activision is obviously playing off of activism. Activism would be the chasing the tail version of trying to get better. Activision is the liberation uh, from the tail chasing, the samsara, the normalized suffering and banality of, hey, that's life. Hey, life's a bitch and then you die. You know, who said life was fair? Ah, we're only human. You know, all these kinds of slogans that we have that we think are kind of woke in their own right because it's sort of, you know, it's somehow enlightened to accept that, you know, life just kind of sucks. And you just got to take the good with the bad and all these things. You know, I could go off. I could, you know, recite so many, and I'm sure you could too, of these slogans that are only the tip of the iceberg of our um, planet-wide collaboration to normalize samsara, to normalize suffering. The word normalize is so key because what normalizing does, it's like, just to pick an extreme example, if we were all in some kind of concentration camp, right? That would, where, where our, our, our freedoms are taken from us and we couldn't do what we wanted and we were at the mercy of a militant force that was suppressing us and scaring us into submission and, you know, basically being trapped by this obvious external force. We would all be completely uh, furious about this and, right, this is violating my human sanctity. This is wrong, right? <laughs> and and then imagine that generation after generation after generation after generation is just born into that, and then you stop calling it a concentration camp. You just call it life. You know, this is life. This is this is what we have to deal with as humans, and and that's what I mean by normalizing. Normalizing is consenting to the suffering, consenting to. Uh, what I was referring to last time is mental slavery, the imprisonment of your being. So the modern day, where we find ourselves now, and there are versions of, of people's oppressing other people still happening to this day, but you could argue that more than ever we're, you know, and more places uh, across the globe consider themselves democracies, you know, free people, and there's more of a of a sense of that is protected uh, rather than taken away. However, even in the midst of a free country, you can still be in what the concentration camp analogy is trying to call out. There's an internalized version of self-oppression that we normalize to where that's our ground floor. We don't even know that anything's missing and then our whole life is informed by this deep sense of lack, this deep sense of unease, dis-ease, stress, fight or flight, anxiety, that we may not even know that we're anxious people. And yet, when we're feeling this deep sense of being de-sourced, I call it often, or de yoga <laughs> to keep the yoga theme going here, when we're cut off from yoga, which is union, which is, which is peace, which is bliss, which is ease and well-being, and, and having our, our, our true human nature and our being our true authentic selves, and we, we are cut off from that and we don't know it, what happens? We become hungry ghosts, to borrow from some phrase that I've heard spoken out there. So I don't mean to be uh, unduly adopting someone else's uh, slogan there. But hungry ghosts, that, always, that, that, always, that verbiage always spoke to me, are... Ourselves and how we think of ourselves, our self-image and the person that we think we are, which is a kind of um, carefully crafted over the years of your life to behave and act in ways that are socially acceptable and to edit out those aspects of self that are not – becomes an entity unto itself. Our identity, people refer to it as ego. I kind of shy away from that word because I think it's sort of misunderstood. But in this case, in this context, sure, the ego, the, the identity, the ego identity, personality, self with a lowercase s 
version of ourselves, which is almost like an avatar of the real thing. Like if you have, if you're, if you're playing a video game, you know, oftentimes you, you're controlling on the screen, a humanoid, you know, character, uh, that is someone that you are moving about with your, with your hands, with your mind, through your hands to control and navigate this virtual reality, which, you know, has monsters or enemies or whatever, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like countless video games, but it's a helpful analogy because when you are in that, when you've committed to that game, you can almost lose touch with your actual body and you've projected yourself into this avatar on the screen. And that is a very, very useful analogy for the human condition. Are we actually in a virtual reality? No, I, I don't, I'm not one of the people that, that buys into that literal rendering of virtual reality. Like this is all a simulation. I've been hearing that lately, you know, those kinds of takes on things. No, this is real. We're in reality. Okay. But there is an overlay, a, a super imposition of a kind of, uh, matrix that we all co-create in our every thought, every action, every interaction that has been, you know, going, uh, and growing and evolving, uh, and getting more sophisticated over the centuries and millennia of human existence. And it has really accelerated in, in the recent, uh, last couple of centuries with industrial revolution and the technological and scientific advancements has really enabled us to like be in a, in a virtual reality in that sense on steroids. You know, it's like, it's super duper, super powered. Our technology enables us in two ways. It's really beautiful. I'm actually, I love technology. I love that I can do this right now in this moment in time to speak, which is the, to think and speak are like the original technologies, right? But then via these amazing devices, which I can't even begin to know how they work, the microphones and the preamps and the digital conversion that's going and turning it into ones and zeros. And that somehow sustains what I, and translates and transmits with very high fidelity, my voice, my expression, you know, all of that in the video. It's amazing. And then I get to post it online and anyone anywhere with the internet could actually like tune into it. And even though this moment is going to be your pet in your past in terms of linear time, it's present. Like I'm meeting you right now in the present moment that, that transcends the limits of linear time as we used to know it prior to technology. So technology is tapping yoga as well. And, and so that's brilliant. That's actually beautiful. Communications, the, the technology of communication. Look at that root word, commune. We're communing our consciousness in ways that we couldn't do before. I often think about how, you know, before the printing press, you know, how long it took to just, you know, reproduce written materials and, and, distribute and translate and I think about and even after the printing press you know just how long it took to get some writing or some teaching or whatever in into a book form to begin with and then to duplicate it and replicate it and share it I'm just saying this just to help us appreciate wow it's so accelerated now to the point where honestly I think we all kind of take it for granted um relatively speaking you know, when we get used to it, it's a shame because we almost rob ourselves of being of the, the the miracle of experiencing the miracle of all this. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and yet it's also facilitating our sickness. And when I say sickness, I mean the when I denormalize the when when we denormalize the modes of consciousness and thinking that are at the at the heart of our suffering the technology actually facilitates the promulgation and dissemination and and, and perpetuation of these of this of the disease so we're it's like we're in that sense in a race against time with ourselves because as we accelerate in our um technological advancements we're accelerating to our demise if we don't really stop and and do what yoga asks us to do which is to whoa stop everybody stop 
pause, deep, deep pause. Let's step back. Let's, let's really face and denormalize our condition of being desourced at the ground floor. And then in that sense, enslaved to chasing what we think we want. Remember, every want that you're after has an impetus. It has a, an incentive. It has this deep feeling of this belief of once I acquire this X, whatever it is, whether it's a partner or a life partner or whether it's a job or whether it's fame or whether it's uh, – I mean it could be literally X, any X that you've decided is that which – it could be enlightenment. When that desire is born of that deep sense of anxiety and dis-ease and well, what do we really want? We want ease. What we imagine is that once I acquire this X, then I'll have the ease. And that is the perpetuation of dis-ease. And that's the dangling carrot. You chase it. You might even acquire said X. And then once you got it, you go, why didn't that do it? And then you need more. And now we see what leads to greed and corruption and all the things that we, we can see the symptom of it. But can we understand how that corruption actually traces all the way back to the original corruption where we got corrupted from source? We, uh, we essentially hacked ourselves out of source uh, and desourced ourselves without understanding that that's what happens. And every time we bring a child into the world, I mean, it just breaks my heart when I really think about it. <sighs> That these precious, sweet, open, trusting, innocent kids come into the world and just get trained, trained into the same disease, you know, and we can't help it. As parents, we do our best. We love our children. We would never do that on purpose. But lo and behold, it just happens because we don't have the agency to not let it happen. We don't have the agency to interrupt that or stop that, right? Because again, we're, we're all caught in the corrupted space. And, and so it's, it can't not happen. <laughs> but the, actually the whole point of what I'm sharing here is precisely the end of that. That's exactly what this is about. We can stop it. We just haven't been able to thus far. Why? Because we keep on using the same lens, the same mind level of thinking to try to get out of that level of thinking. Um, and it just doesn't work. So this brings me to one of the things that rung for a while in my own ears after I had said it in the last episode about my, in, my, in my journey about how I discovered this concept of cleansing fasting, detoxing, and how that idea of being toxic and needing to detox sort of grabbed me for a number of years. And I'm not saying that, by the way, that fasting or cleansing is bad. But what I'm saying is that when you think that that's what's going to get you, again, that, that thing you have to get to, and once I get my body cleansed, then I'll be able to be home again, home meaning in my true nature, peace, ease, grace, deeply relaxed, which we have access to right now. You don't have to go through any X to come to that. That's the premise of all this. That's how we, if you want to save the children, so to speak, from that training into suffering, there's only really one way to start right inside of you and in your consciousness. And in that sense, physically detoxing your body is still externalized. Even though you could say what's oh, inside my body, yeah, but even the inside of your body is externalized in the sense of trying to get to peace via your body doing something, manipulating. It's basically manipulation. Guys, the whole name of the game when we're in the corrupted spaces I keep calling it today, that, cor that original corruption, meaning we're desourced, we're, we're, we're cut off from our sense of ourselves, our deep peace, our well-being, that means we're, in, the, we're in, a, uh, in a place of corruption. 
were hacked and hackable and were informed by this deep sense of lack and needing to complete ourselves and we've decided whatever it is that we want is what we want, then anything we do in that space is externalized, including if we go, well, I've decided that what will make me happy is once my body is is fit or flexible or I've detoxed and cleansed or I'm become I've completely eliminated all animal products and now I'm purely vegan or raw food and and so you tell yourself that once you've done that now you're clean and so that'll that'll make me feel what I want. What do we want? What do we want? We want to be clean. Cleansed. What does a cleanse mean? What is and for that matter what does being not clean mean? Dirty what, what is this? What is this toxin we're trying to get rid of? This this idea of like, oh, my body has got toxins inside of it. Oh, I know. I'll fast and get the toxins out of my body, and then it'll get me there, right? And actually, I'm living proof of somebody who, having put that first many times, by being bought into the externalized, I'm going to get to what I'm really trying. I'm going to get to the the space of deep yoga via this action or that action. Well, I was a big proponent for cleansing for a while. And I did a number of pretty, pretty intense, you know, cleanses. And now I'm not saying that it's bad to cleanse, but now knowing what I know now, I would absolutely go back to past Nothan and be like, dude, you don't need to do that. You're, you're putting the, the, the cart before the source, so to speak. You're, you're, I understand what you, why you feel like you really got to do this, but just pause a moment because what you really want is a cleanse on a deeper level and cleansing your body is not going to do it. And in fact, you're going to put your body through more stress by doing that and it's actually going to just end up swinging the pendulum, which is in fact what happened to me. I'd go into modes of just like partying and being really just almost like you know, people would see me like out and about drinking, smoking cigarettes and be like, you, the yoga teacher? Like what? What's that about? And then I'd go, I got to stop this. And I swing the pendulum to the other side and I cleanse. And, I, and I, it took a few rounds of that to realize I was just batting that pen, pendulum <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. And I, I started to get wise like, oh, I'm barking up the wrong tree here. I've got something. I'm, I'm, I'm putting something first that isn't first. And now we get to the yoga. Now we get to the yoga. Now, simultaneously, I want to bring in that theme again to continue my story for this third uh, part of the trilogy is really I want to focus on my actual yoga teaching career, which, again, started off with, uh, thank goodness, the freedom to discover myself as a teacher and the freedom to question all the rules, question all the things I was taught. Like, you know, you're supposed to do this posture this way, or you're supposed to do this sequence just so, and you know, that the mindset that there is a right way to do it that you have to adhere to. And I was very aware of the, the um, mechanical and even dehumanizing quality to it and was guided to find methods and techniques to help break those patterns, break the mold, uh, if you will, of, of the rigidity of not just of yoga techniques and practices, but through all of it, you know, whether it's running or dancing or, or, you know, any physical activity can be mechanized and therefore, um, alienating us from the organic, natural, joyful, blissful, improvisational, uh, creative version of movement and flow and discovery. Because we're so, we're so used to this idea of the information is out there and I need to get somebody to tell me the information. I'll acquire the information, apply it to myself, and that's how I get it. And that's why we think, okay, you know, I'd have students who would say, you know, where am I supposed to put my hand? And I say, I'd say to them, you know, wherever it lands, wherever your hand lands, like, well, how am I supposed to turn my head? Well, try some different angles out. See what, see what clicks. You know, things like that would start to started to evolve. And one of the main things that that evolved in my yoga teaching career was 
was slowing down. That you, that's one thing I can say that has been consistent is slow down. Why? Because so much of our movements, that jerky, mechanized posture, 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 inhale, exhale, it's all so jerky and so rushed like we're trying to get it done, right? The, the, the get her done mindset, which is like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my sun salutes done and I get a standing sequence and seated sequence and then I did my yoga and that's done and I'm going to get in my car and get home and we're going, 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 going and we funnel our yoga <clears throat> practice into that frantic space. And so the yoga becomes, you know, again, trapped in that, those same patterns of go, 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 go. Slowing down is about arresting. It's a, it's a way to arrest the automatic, um, jerky, frantic motions that we're so used to. And then what happens? Oh my God, you can begin to feel. So you just slow down your breath. And don't separate the inhale from the exhale. And feel the continuity and the, the continuum of breath. And when you feel the continuum of motion, you start to feel the textures that you were missing in all of those quick jerky motions. And you start to, you start to explore and you're in a posture instead of feeling like you got to stick to this shape, this which is really a mental image that we're trying to adhere to. You let that same mental image not be an end point, but a starting point. So you go into the posture gently and slowly and you meet the posture and it starts to, your body starts to speak in response to that. And it says, hey, back off here, ease in here, tilt here, explore freedom of motion, start to dance around the pose. Even just the littlest bit speaks of not being trapped in a pose. And, and that's how it, that's how things start to, oh my gosh, that's now I can start to really feel my body. Why was I in such a hurry? Furthermore, why did I think that like superimposing these these rigid mental images of postures onto my body would somehow get me something better than just being with my body, feeling my body. So in other words, instead of using our body to serve the poses, the poses become subservient to our exploration. They become uh, ways in which we can start to open up and get in contact with ourselves because that's why the body's so so um, uh, locked in a kind of normalized anchor anxiousness and anxiety, um, fight or flight mode is because it's like, it's being kept out of the light of your love and of your consciousness and your awareness. There's, there really is a severance in that sense. We, we're, we're obviously never fully severed from our body because we, we're, we're able to breathe and move and, and walk and talk and all these things. But it's almost like we're like at the bare minimum for that until we really start to dare to get intimate with your body. And if you look at relationships for a moment, so much of what's driving relationships is again because we want intimacy. We want to feel we want to feel ourselves by using another person to feel us for us. <laughs> and and it almost always ends in disaster because you're asking someone else to do what is your job to do for yourself, which is touch your own being, your own body with your own consciousness, dare to get intimate with yourself. I mean, your body is nature. Your body is, is divine in that sense. And can you, can you be vulnerable enough with yourself to get super duper honest about how you're treating yourself in objectifying ways and dare to stop that and dare to go, oh my God, I've been objecting, objectifying you, body sacred body. I've been almost bludgeoning you with my, with my agendas, you know, I've been using you, you to use yourself is to abuse yourself. And again, it's normalized. And so we're, we're, these, this is just one example of so many of the pathologies that we've normalized. And then we try to compensate by getting someone else to, to, to make up for that. And that's codependency. And we can go into a whole thing about relationships and how yoga relates to that. But to try to, to keep it on this, this track that I'm saying, what we're doing in our yoga practice is so often um, a continuation of that same self-objectification. And so what I was starting to teach and realize over the years was ways in which to, to interrupt that and then make space for the, for the delicious, sensual, 
organic um, pleasure, deep pleasure of feeling yourself, you know, inviting all of your cells into the warm glow of your loving attention. And that, how can that be anything but healing, you know? And when you've just discovered that, by contrast, you go, why would I ever want to pound my body with postures? And even breath. You can pound your body with breath. Bludgeon, bludgeon yourself with breath. <laughs> That's lovely, you know. And tell yourself you're doing something good. You know? So that, that was really unfolding over the years. Again, I, I, I started teaching in 2001, approaching the, the 20 years of teaching yoga. And I took a break in the last couple of years from teaching largely because I felt even though I had so much um, in the midst of the yoga studios and the teaching and you know, workshops or being hired for this you know, festival or that, you know, subjecting myself to those scenes which were inherently um, – kind of objectifying and not recognizing. In other words, I was being hired as an exercise yoga teacher, as an exercise coach, and sort of I felt like I was always swimming upstream trying to teach the yoga of yoga in the context of, of what was being asked of me was to do what everyone's doing, which is to objectify the body and call it yoga and and – there was just something inherently um, grating about that. And I think it really wore me down in a way. And I I very conscientiously took a break in these last couple of years of just saying, I I need to I need to cleanse <laughs> from from that, right? And get clear and reboot my relationship with this practice, this the the, the physical version, the yoga never stopped. It's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. But in terms of the practice on the mat, I took a break and practice from that teaching. I, I stepped back from that um, for the most part. And wow, um, now I'm falling in love with it again. But in that interim, I had so many moments that felt Like, a, like, like I was violating myself by subjecting myself to the, to the wrong situations because I, I constantly met – whether it was somebody who was hiring me or it was uh, you know, the students themselves um, almost demanding that the yoga be taught on terms that allowed them to stay where they were. They didn't want to get free. Here's the point. To get – to break this cycle of objectification, this space, this corruption that is self-objectification and objectification of the other and everything is scary. And I think that that's what, that's what I'm really trying to get to in this one is that there is – it sounds lovely what I'm saying, right? You know, feeling, connecting yourself to yourself and enjoying oh, – I mean, really, I was – you could say that like I'm a, I'm a teacher that, that is about uh, – discovering the, the deep pleasure that awaits us so that what's wrong with that? That sounds great, right? Well, yes, but in order to reach that, we have to let go of some pretty deep power trips. You could say that at the, at the core of our consciousness, it's like, the, it's like the ultimate power trip that we inherit by being born into this world and growing up. We all learn this was the key word, manipulation. We all learn manipulation because why? Because if I'm an object and everything else is basically, if we're all just stuff, right? We're animated stuff, sure. So people are, you know, you're not going to treat a person like an object in a literal sense, well, hopefully. Of course, people do. And it traces back to this deep objectifying code. And you may not be somebody who ever wants to or intends to hurt anybody, but you can still be lodged in that objectifying space and objectifying yourself and in that sense, hurting yourself and, and, and numbing yourself from the awesome light of feeling, feeling presence, feeling the magic. It's, it's almost as though, even though it sounds lovely to 
feel joyful and feel happy and feel in love and feel we I think a lot of us actually get to the point where it's too scary to feel love. It's too scary to open up after a while. It's too it's too real. It's too raw. It's too personal. It's too vulnerable, right? And and that's those are that's all symptom symptomatic of of what happened to us? The wounding that you may you may be able to point to individual wounds in your life, but what is the, the wound? The wound is the wound that is the the gash, the ow of being having cut off from your bliss, from your from your joy, from yourself, from source, from love, and we 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 might still have little spurts if you will, of it here and there. But that's, we're in a life where basically it's like just this mundane existence that has these ways to kind of get pleasure, little doses of pleasure. And so we we become enslaved to a kind of like needing it from whether it's food or it's sex or it's, you know, getting love from somebody and we're, or, or it's the high of of being success or being 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 number one, you know, and all these different ways, countless ways, I invite you to really ask yourself, what are the ways that you're trying to keep yourself going? Um, to, to squeeze the joy out of life, so to speak, from that from that objectifying space. All because what? Because we're we're the original wound is that we're cut off and severed from that that blissful fullness. <sighs> that makes all of those frantic desires fall away because now why? Because you're filling up from the inside. That's the fountain. You're filling up from the inside. That you're found, you found the meaning of your life in, in meaning itself, the meaning of being, right? It's not the meaning of life is, you know, fill in the blank, right? Like some kind of sentence that you can say, the meaning of life is this, right? Now, the meaning of life is meaning. Meaning is bliss meaning is is value meaning is is worth right but we don't what we're used to is a world in which meaning is attached to objects not just physical objects but the objects of our desire of of you know like so success whatever that means to you that could be an object of desire that holds within it the shimmer and the glimmer of of value out there and i have i have to acquire that in order to have the value. When we stop playing that game, oh my gosh, the value is in me already. And then all of those pathologies, all of the codependencies, all that stuff just starts to fall off like an old cocoon or shell or whatever. And that's what we're, that's what we're really after. And yet that is scary. We resist, we resist the thing we want the most. Because it's just so humbling and it's so naked. There's a nakedness about getting honest with yourself and real with yourself. And there's a nakedness and vulnerability to becoming present. And if we talk about it like it's just, oh, yeah, that sounds great, present. Yeah, I want to be present. I want to be mindful, you know. And just take it in too nonchalant of a way and sort of like a self-entitled definition of it rather than what it is, which is holy moly i'm getting real it's it's this is real right this experience this this life we're living is real whoa can we can we can we look up at the stars and go oh my god can we look at one another and go and go you are you're a being like me feeling with such tenderness way deep down inside whatever you might be presenting or you know trying to keep in or out or whatever we're all this like this tender being inside can we encounter that in each in each other can we have understanding and compassion and all of this right well we can't if we're in the corrupted space if we're in the objectified space how can you have compassion your your compassion valve is shut off and this is of course to varying degrees we talk about people being sociopaths Right, narcissists and sociopaths, and not having empathy, and just like we talk about people who are empaths and you know um, bleeding hearts and blah blah blah. But it's all in the same space. It's all in the same space of objectification, and we're we're not tapping the real deep love, the deep love that is that is enough in and of itself. Right, and if you don't have that, you're never enough, and that is the toxin. 
the, the, the desire to get cleansed, the desire to clean yourself, so to speak, is deep down a very, very good impulse, a very healthy impulse. But then when we try to do it on said X, external, external, uh, you know, solutions, we continue to tox ourselves we, by entrenching, because what we're doing is we're reestablishing the, the corruption code, the objectifying code, and tell ourselves that we're, get, we're doing a good thing when we're actually, you know, turning this potentially good thing into part of the, the same dis-ease, right? And this is how we wear ourselves out and break down and, and, and literally become sick, physically, mentally, all of that are just all progressions of the same thing. So it's actually a great relief to be like, look, no one else is my responsibility, but I am my responsibility. And I can show up for presence right here, right now, and face myself dare to witness my own minding, dare to witness my own narcissism, my own uh, addiction. You know, take responsibility for your own addiction to objectification. Realize, get humble, and, and, and dare to realize the depth of the human condition that we're all partaking in, both in the glorious thing that's unfolding there's always, we always, we never want to lose sight of the glorious journey uh, and gift of what it means to be a human while simultaneously not needing to deny the profound sickness all around us and in us. To denormalize that is not being negative. In fact, it's quite the opposite to, to really go, wow, this is bad. Like what we're experiencing as humans, what we're doing to each other and to ourselves and to our children and to the to nature, whoa, like that's not even slightly okay. I mean, that's not negative. That's the ultimate positive in the sense of goodness, you know, to see and go, hey, yeah, enough's enough. And I'm not going to normalize this anymore and pass this off. Oh, you know, you can't think about those things. You can't, oh, it's too intense. Stop trying to brush it off. Be brave. Be courageous. And let's face it. Let's face what we're all partaking in. It's actually a relief to stop pointing the finger at others. It's much more liberating to, 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 to give up that game of pointing out there and really take responsibility henceforth. Be loving and kind and forgiving of yourself. Understand the depth of this. When you find that compassion for yourself, it comes with compassion for others. Because harboring anything other than compassion for our brothers and sisters, no matter how despicable their behavior may objectively be, is to harbor toxins. And that's really what I wanted to convey in this third entry is that the yoga of yoga is the ultimate detox at the source, the real detox, not the, not the stand-in detoxes that we do on our bodies and on our, we try to, we try to <laughs> detox our being on our bodies. But when we really detox our being, detoxing our mind, de detoxing our consciousness. That's something that you don't, you can't take, you can't put something in your mouth that's going to do that for you. And that's, that's, that should feel like a relief. It's like, oh my God, you know, like I don't have to trip about that so much. Look, eat healthy, you know, be good to your body, but also lighten up about it. Lighten up so much of these you know, allergies are, are really, they really are generated from that frantic mind that is a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, this makes me feel that, and that makes me feel this, and I can't touch that, and I can't touch this, and that's bad, and this, you know, all that, like, imagine just letting that go, relax, we're blessed to have food, what food you have access to 
give thanks for it, recognize it's sacred. You know, because you could have all the right foods, but then consume it in an objectifying way, and that's toxic. The point is, the toxin is the, 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 the addiction to the objectification that we're all deeply used to. The yoga of yoga is the cessation of the modifications of the mind, the, the objectifying mind, so that we can detox from all of the pathologies that come with that and stem from that. That we may arrive in our true, clean, in a capital C sense, cleansed, purified in our being. Whatever you've gone through then transforms from this thing that weighs on you like guilt and regret and shame. And those are all toxins that we're holding. Cleansing your diet while is fine is not going to address that. And what I'm suggesting is that I was really wanting that. What I wanted was to be cleansed of the toxin of being cut off from source, cut off from myself, cut off from bliss, cut off from joy, cut off from grace. And what I'm suggesting is that I'm daring to say that so that's what you are looking for too. And the beautiful news is it's available, but you got to show up. There's a getting humble. There's a learning. There's a daring to step back. A daring to be vulnerable with yourself, a daring to face your fears, to face your anxieties, to face what you're afraid of. Because what you're afraid of is happening to you right now <laughs> as, the, as the dread and anxiety that is born from forgetting, forgetting the, the, the deep sense of peace and trust and relaxation and warmth and security that comes from remembering. So forgetting is the toxin and remembering is the cleanse. And we're used to forgetting over and over and over and over and over. It's going to take a little time, it's going to take a little practice to remember again and again. Oh, yeah. And that's gratitude. And that's to, to remember peace and to remember presence and to remember yourself is gratitude. That's how you give thanks. You can say the word thanks. How do you be thanks? How do you be grace in that sense? And I think as I wrap up here, and I've gone a couple minutes over my, my designated 45 minutes, but I think this, this uh, deserves it. I think deep down, a, a lot of us feel that what, a, what awaits us upon getting real and honest is a kind of condemnation or punishment or retribution for the life we've lived thus far. One of the reasons we avoid facing the music, facing the light, facing ourselves is because we're scared of what we'll find and we're scared of being judged. And in that sense, we're judging ourselves right here and now and amazing grace is what yoga is amazing grace is what we are afraid of it's not actually real what we're afraid of but that we're afraid in ways that we may not even realize because we normalized it and we learned how to arrange our lives so that we don't have to face it It can be, it can be um, intimidating in a way that we're not even conscious of. And so we keep ourselves in the concentration camp, self-imposed concentration camp, camp when we could technically just leave, so to speak. The guards standing guard at the gate are actually not really there. They're just there to scare us and keep us in that space. So those guards, the concentration camp, is in our minds. It's in our consciousness. We're, we're, we have to dare to stop gaslighting the world out there 
other people, your partners, the government, the whatever you, you whatever your your adversary of choice is, I dare you. I dare you to take responsibility now. It's not who you think it is. It's you. And it's not you. It's not it, but it's it's perpetuated and allowed and consented to within. And I think it's very important to realize the magnitude of that because amazing grace comes in when we realize there, there's, there's no, you're not going to be punished, you know, you're not going to be judged, you're not going to be condemned. It's the fear of all of those things that keeps us in a fight or flight. Oh my God, I can't, I can't be, I can't really be. And to, to begin to release that clench, that grip in our being that's big. That's big. But let's hold space for each other. I'm holding space for you to, to allow your trepidation, fear, and clenching, and anxiety to begin to release and to know that it's safe. It's safe to begin to feel and face your fears. Face yourself. And face your past. Face your past with love and forgiveness. That's yoga. That's the yoga of yoga. And if I didn't do these first three episodes, and I just started to talk about whatever techniques or styles or, you know, postures or breathing or whatever, it would just be... Um, empty. It would be, be more of the same thing. I need you to get what this is really about first and how deep it is and how all-encompassing. And we can then we can go for it in any way we want. The yoga of yoga does not leave anything out. We can we can go into relationships, we can go into the onto the yoga mat, we can go into economy, we can go anywhere we want. But you must understand the profundity of of this journey as a prerequisite to competently journey with me henceforth. Uh, so that is my wrapping up of the trilogy intro to this podcast, this ongoing podcast that is about liberation, freedom, and bliss, and the, and the science of that, meaning the deep science, capital S science means the profound science of the mind, the science of thinking, the science of being, and that's yoga. So again, thank you so much for staying with me. <sighs> I hope you can feel a deeper breath now, uh, having shown this, and I hope you can be excited about the healing that awaits us. My name is Nathan Gangadine, and I look forward to continuing this journey with you. Be well. <laughs>